Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are in this world. It's me, Damien Barr, welcoming you to another Salon exclusive here on our podcast, where we share the books that we are most excited about. I don't know if you've heard the expression, some things cannot be fixed, they can only be carried. My granny used to say it, and it's something I think a lot about when I'm writing, and it definitely applies to this book. When author John Ramson's mother died and his father was diagnosed with cancer, he turns to writing as a creative outlet for his grief and his stress. On his commute to work, he managed to complete the entire first draft of the whale tattoo on his mobile phone. That is impressive. John's novel is completely arresting with a unique voice and really stood out for us from the other submissions we'd had recently. Like the author himself, the protagonist Joe is queer and working class. He grows up in a village of repressed desires where misery and envy grow taller than grass. His novel offers a raw and unflinching window into the life of a lonely young man haunted by death and taunted by the voice of the river that claimed his mother's life. In parts, it's about the hate that we have forced on us, but it's also about the hate that we choose and who we can become when we decide to let that hate go. Here's John with a reading from his debut novel, The Whale Tattoo. Hello, my name is John Ransom and I'm excited to be reading exclusively for listeners of Damien Barr's Literary Salon from my debut novel, The Whale Tattoo. The novel centres on Joe Gunner, a baffled working class lad who one day finds himself stood before a gigantic sperm whale, washed up on the shore, that tells him death will follow wherever he goes. With nowhere left to hide, Joe returns home to the house at the point and to the lad who knows him better than anyone, Tim Fish. But Fish is complicated, as unruly as the tides that ebb and flow from here to the in-between place, shaping their world. Restless, Joe turns to his sister, Birdie, the only person who has ever listened. Yet Birdie is not what she appears to be. As Joe navigates his circumstances, and the river grows quiet, he finds that we all have the capability to hate, and we can all make the choice not to. This reading is taken from near the beginning of the wow tattoo, after Joe has spent the night with fish. My urgency to piss is everything, bigger than the warm mattress and the red-headed man asleep alongside me. Quietly I get up, walk the floor, look back and listen for sleep sounds. In the dim bathroom I piss into the bowl, on top of last night's urine, and flush. I pull on crunched up jeans first because I don't know where my underpants are. My coat is still damp from yesterday's rain. The view from the concrete balcony is nothing much to see. Clouds hang like dirty curtains. I suck in cold air and consider the man whose bed I slept in. Fish is dangerous. One night gone and already he's busted beneath my skin, messing me up. And I want him inside me. Because with fish... There's the in-between place I go, where there's no noise and nothing matters, and I like it, but it's wrong. Last night, bare-arsed on his bed, I listen to him talk about how right it feels, and I tell him, these things you want can't ever be right. The fish won't hear me, tugs down his green underpants and tells me, you're wrong, mate. 
A scrawny boy riding a beaten up bike pedals by slowly on the pavement beneath. He calls up for a cigarette. I tell him to sod off and flick the dog end off the balcony. Inside, there's no paper or pen to leave Fisher note. No use chewing my nails over it. Instead, I write Joe in ketchup on the white kitchen table, so he knows I'm not a ghost. Then I carry Betty's pushbike down three flights of concrete steps, because the lift is ruined, and ride home to the river. With sky everywhere, the river chases alongside the track, following the line. I slow down at Black Barn, a dead place at this time of year. Rumour reckons a local buried a man beneath the dirt floor. Fish spent one summer way back trying to prove it. Found nothing but a fistful of blisters. Half a mile further, pushed aside by the river, is the house at the point. It appears empty. I detour, ride by, but the worn rubber tyres are useless on wet marshland. I abandon the pushbike and finish the distance on foot. The filthy brown river licks the mudflats like a thirsty animal. The wrecked fishing trawler, the only proof man has been to this place. I stoop inside just to be sure. The hole stinks of tidal mud and rot. The half-light gives up torn planks and beaten iron. I stay long enough to run my finger over our initials carved into the wood. Through the back door and the radio says I've missed breakfast. Birdie is sitting at the kitchen table, rolling her hair around her finger. I peel out of my coat and hang it on the back of the kitchen chair. You're an idiot, she says. You trying to kill yourself? Bare-chested, I rub at my pale skin until my fist has made a red circle in between my nipples. I open the washing machine, pull out yesterday's t-shirt and slip it on. Where have you been? With fish. I don't care if she can smell him on me. Stay away from him. All right, I say, closing my eyes and letting the silent gap sit there. My sister has been boiling me about Tim Fish forever. Because I don't want to wind up Birdie, when Fish calls later, I tell her it was some twat selling something. She knows I'm a liar. Down the telephone, his voice is different. Words spread apart, like he's talking in tongues. Makes me anxious. He says, pick you up at eight, mate. Then I'm standing in the kitchen with the telephone pressed against my ear, listening to nothing. There's nothing much to do. Betty's gone out to see the one-armed soldier. He's fucked up. She's left me a bowl in the fridge. Because I'm hungry, I take her effort upstairs to the bathroom, run the taps while I sit on the toilet seat and eat peach jelly. In the bath, I smoke three cigarettes in a row, listening to the tap drip-dripping. Sometimes it seems like I spend all my time wet or chased by the stuff. This water is lobster hot. It's impossible to tell sweat from bathwater. I drop the dog end into the toilet bowl, way up if I have time to make it downstairs to answer the ringing telephone. Fuck. But it could be fish. I'm half-hard thinking about him. Hello? And I tell her my name. She's called something I don't catch because she's talking a hundred miles an hour telling me my old man will be discharged tomorrow morning. I'll be there, I say. There goes my hard-on. I refuse to look away. The woman has purple hair and dances like a blackbird around an empty goldfish bowl. She could be a remnant of something older, a trick conjured from a fairground, tented on the edge of town in another time. Her shadow, dark as wet tar, is lagging behind under Friday night streetlight. I want her to be an illusion, to disappear. But when she stops dead, I close the distance between us, ask, you all right? 
Bent in half, she lifts the glass bowl off the pavement, cocks her head. Fuck off. And she steps over the river of piss Fish has made. Barking, mate, Fish says. Bollocks. He knocks at his forehead with his clenched fist, then goes back the way we came towards the Greenland, where we'd been drinking before Doug turned up. I lean onto the church railing, watching formless faces through fogged glass in the white heart. A tall lad comes out with his short mate, winks. All right, fella? All right, I say. I don't recognise him. Even when I dig around, it's useless. Whoever tall lad had been, now he's no one. They clear off down the street while the cold gets colder. When Fish comes back, still knocking away, he says, Stupid, forgot my lighter. He loosely hangs his arm around my shoulder. Up for it? His breath is thick with beer, cigarettes and trouble. I tell him I have to pick up my old man from the hospital in the morning. He pushes his hand down the front of my trousers, licks my cheek like a thirsty dog. Fuck off already, I say. He doesn't care about my old man. Mostly nobody does. Worn, I take Fish home and leave him face down on the mattress. I don't even pull off his trainers. He mumbles and it sounds like he's wounded, a soldier forgotten in a ditch. I want to lie down alongside and watch him for a time. That's fucked up. Outside, the night sucks me in, pavement wet and empty. At the Jewish cemetery, I stop. White-knuckling the bars on the door, I take a look inside. These dirty red brick walls guard 16 broken headstones, chiselled with writing nobody can read. I am younger than I am now when the showman from the mart takes me to sin. Saw him first on the waltzes with Birdie. We pay our money and climb into the worn carriage. Leather seat hot from the lads before us. He lowers the steel bar. Winks. Says his name is Jimmy Bug. Same as on the rounding boards above the ride. Then he spins us. Fast. Birdie screaming. I'm going to throw up. I'm still grinning when the ride ends. Mesmerised by the light. The way it slides like water when I hold out my hand. Dripping through my fingers. Soaking me with colour. We don't go far. Birdie is complaining about the rows of dirty glass bowls, half filled and yellowed. It's not right. I don't care about the fish that are more orange than gold. I'm going home, she says. All right. It doesn't matter because I'm watching Jimmy Bug go around and around. He's like Jesus walking on wooden water. The planks rise and fall madly, unable to topple him. He keeps hungry eyes on me, worrying the hard-on in my underpants until I get back in the waltzer for another go. When he leans in to lock the bar down, his free hand reaches around the back of my head, grazing my hair with mean fingertips. He has a tattoo of the Virgin Mary on his neck. The ink is close enough to taste, then everything gets blurred. After the ride slows to a stop, he tells his mate to take over for a time. Lighting a cigarette, he weaves through the rowdy fair every so often turning back to see if I'm still trailing him. The noise gets left behind. I'm agitated. The kind of restlessness that reminds me I'm 15 years old makes me hop from one trainer to the other, looking like I'm getting ready to run. In the Jewish cemetery, he is lit by the lamppost leaning over the wall, staining his skin yellow. This what you want? Jimmy Bug asks. His rough, red-knuckled hands work worn trouser buttons undone. I'm nodding. A ladder of dark, tangled hair appears, then disappears beneath the waistband of his underpants. He tugs them down to his knees, his big, pale dick jutting out. Then I'm hunched over, 
vomit shooting out of my mouth, covering his stomach and dick. Fuck, and I leg it. He shrieks, you're a fucking dead cunt. The Virgin Mary makes me think about what it means to want. Well, we've all got a story about our first time and they are rarely filled with dignity, but they're rarely that grim too. Our thanks to John for that generous reading from his debut novel, The Whale Tattoo. And trust me when I say you're going to be reading it in a day from start to finish. The book is published by Indie Press, Muswell Press, and is available now in all good bookshops. You know that we love an Indie Press, so follow them on their socials. And while you're at it, be sure to share this episode with anyone you know who appreciates queer literature from working class authors. I mean, shouldn't that be everyone you know? And I know I say this every time, but please do follow our newsletter so that we can rush you great book giveaways and details of our upcoming events online and in person. Our subscribers get priority bookings, so that means you're always at the front of the queue. And we have got exciting plans for you in 2022. So thank you for listening and join us again soon.